you cannot understand a movie if you begin watching it in the middle. You can't understand a book if you begin reading that book in the middle. The sentences that you read, the statements the characters make, and the actions that the characters in the film or the book do are not understandable. Unless it's a Quentin Tarantino film, in which case none of it makes sense anyway. But generally speaking, you want to start books and movies from the beginning. In a similar fashion here, when we think about Christmas time, I think we are sometimes tempted to think that the Christmas story starts in the manger. But that's really near the climax of the story. That's not the beginning of the story. The beginning of the story has roots in the crisp, clean pages of the Old Testament. You need to understand, if you're going to truly enjoy and be a person of joy and understand what Christmas is about, we have to understand that Christmas is rooted in the grief of God's heart. Let's look tonight or this morning at Genesis chapter 6. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Genesis chapter 6, beginning in verse 5. And I don't have the verses up here because, like I said, this is authentically a shift change. Here's what the Word of God says. Genesis 6, 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only continually evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. May God add blessing to the reading of His holy and errant and infallible Word. And I pray that He will write this truth on your heart today. I don't know if you ever think about this question, but in this text, when you look at verse 6, and the Lord was sorry that He made man on earth. And it goes on to say, comma, and it grieved Him to his heart. I want us to think about that for just a minute. Consider this for just a minute. Consider the language that God is using here that he instructed Moses to write down. He wanted us to see this. These are deeply personal words, like they are of a personal relationship nature. You are not grieved by people you don't like not spending time with you or doing things, right? You don't care. You are grieved to the heart whenever someone or something that you love is taken, destroyed, or that relationship is damaged. Zig Ziglar, who's probably best known for motivational speaking and little quotes, said this, you know what grief is? Grief is the price that we pay for loving. I think he's probably right. The Lord here was grieved. What, what is he grieved about? And then this is the next question. This is the, the, the question that flows from this. What has grieved the heart of God? 
You ever ask that question? What deeply grieves God's heart? What brings tears to the heart of God? Well, I, I would have to ask ourselves the question, what would bring tears to our heart, right? What would grieve our hearts? Would it not be personal betrayal? Would that grieve you? Have you ever been betrayed personally by someone you love dearly? What offense, what betrayal, what personal thing could grieve the heart of God literally here to tears? What is it? Look at these words here. Verse 5. The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the heart was only evil continually. Can you get more graphic than that description? I mean, look at this. This is all-inclusive wording in this passage here. God here sees the wickedness of man was great, and because of the wickedness of man, his heart is grieved. All over the inhabited earth, all over where man was, here in the sight of God, every intention and action that they did, every thought before they had an action was all evil continually before God. It's graphic. And I know a lot of older people. I've served churches that have been blessed to have many senior adults in them. And I hear a lot from the senior adult crowd, well, things were better when I were younger. Well, not according to this passage. right? There was a time that was worse than now. This is as bad as it's ever been on the planet. Right? This is probably one of the saddest passages in all of the Bible, is this passage. I can't think of one personally sadder than this one. But I want you to think about... There is horror in this passage. If you don't understand the great tragedy here in this passage, you don't understand the truly sad thing that has brought such grief to the heart of God. And if you don't understand these words relationally, well, this, this passage here, this passage, verse 6, it is describing something that is deeply, deeply personal. And if you don't understand how deeply personal, how deeply relational God is and how deeply God truly loves here, I don't think you truly understand the glory of God sending a baby to Bethlehem. I don't think you get it. You say, Travis, I'm not sure what you mean. Can you be more clear? Let me take you on a bit of a journey. Okay. Human beings were created. We were hardwired to love. Did you know that? That's a primary function that God made us to do. It's why Virginia's uh, tourist campaign is so great. Have you seen Virginia's tourist campaign? What's it say? Virginia's for what? For lovers, because everybody's a lover. <laughs> right? My, my in-laws want a sticker that says that I may have to run over to the border and get that for them for Christmas, right? We're created to love. But I want you to understand this about the story. We were created to love God first and foremost. That is the base foundational level love that is meant to be centered on. 
Godward way of living, Godward consciousness. This was meant to be the way that every thought is to be shaped, every motivation is to be shaped, every choice is to be shaped, every decision, every word, every action. Fundamentally, that you could say in any situation, when people ask you, why are you doing it, the thing that you're doing, you can say, because I love God. That's what we're created for. we must recognize not just his existence, not just his authority, but recognize God's grandeur as an act of deep personal love. You know why I like going to the beach and I like living in the mountains? Both of them have a grandeur. When you sit at the ocean and you look at it, it just goes on. The expanse seems forever. It reminds me of God's presence and His expanse that goes on forever. When I see the majesty of the mountains, snow-covered and laid, I think of the majesty of the throne of God. This is deeply personal love here. Choosing to serve Him with all of my time and all of my energy. That's what we're created to do. We were made for God. This was the environment we were meant to function in. I don't know how you wind down at night. I'm going to tell you how I wind down. I'm a big fan of the BBC uh, nature shows. Have you watched any of those? Like Underwater, Blue Planet, all those different ones. I read a study that said if you watch like documentaries about animals at night, you sleep better. So I watch a lot of animal documentaries at night. I particularly like the ones in the ocean because, quite frankly, I don't get to those depths and levels to see those things ever, right? <laughs> There was one in particular I watched, and I don't know if it was BBC or something else, but they were talking about these creatures that live miles below the surface in what they call the midnight zone of the ocean. And they live under immense pressure from the water that's around them. Do you know what happens when fishermen or somebody were to take that that fish that is designed to live under immense water pressure and bring it up? What happens? It basically internally explodes. It internally explodes. Here's the point I want to make with this. We are designed to love God first and foremost. Here's the problem. Here's where evil comes in. Because sin is introduced into the world. We are tempted to love something else other than God. Obedience is rooted in love. Right? It's not drudgery to serve someone else, right? And when you pull something like the love of God out of somebody and they begin loving something else, usually themselves, they're just like a fish pulled from the depths of the open ocean and they explode internally. Everything goes to chaos. Listen, this is why marriage is hard. Don't act like you don't know what I'm talking about. Marriage is hard. It's hard, not because your spouse is difficult, but because you love yourself way more than you should. It's why parenting is difficult. Because in parenting, you've just given birth to little sovereign lords who want to climb on the throne and declare not just their sovereignty and rulership, but sovereignty and rulership over your life as well. 
and they love themselves immensely. All of us are lovers. We will either love God or we will love self. But the problem is, when we love self, things go into chaos. Into chaos. Every act of loving self, uh, every time, it is, at the end of the day, it is selfishness. That's really the root and treason of all evil, is to not love God, but to love self more. <clears throat> Obedience is rooted in the love of God. I love God because I love God. I find joy in staying inside the boundaries that God has made. I find joy in what He calls me to do. I find joy in serving Him. Let me see if I can illustrate this for you. There are two ways to think about obedience and serving God. One is harsh, hard, legalistic. I'm going to call that knuckling under God's wall, God's obedience. And then there is a life that is filled with joy of, that's rooted in loving God's obedience. Let me take you back in time to a magical time just before I had shingles. <laughs> yeah. When Becky broke her foot and was down for months, she eventually had to have surgery and replace. I don't know if you have ever been in a position where you have to be caregiver to your spouse, raise your children, going to the grocery store, cooking for them, feeding them. She helped with the bills because she could do that in the chair, right? And work full time and make sure your children got everywhere they needed to be. Now let me say this. My church family helped me immensely. Wouldn't have got through without them and my intermediate family but there was a significant load that was on top of me during that time. I basically lived tired for about four months. I was tired for four months. It was just what degree of tired was I, really. And I don't drink coffee, so you can imagine what that was like, right? I do drink doctor enough. I had it by the case, but I don't drink coffee. Every time Becky called for me, I had two choices. She called for me to bring her a meal because she was not physically able to get up and get it herself. I could grumble to myself and say, she won't know how tired I am. And I took the kids to school, fed them, cooked this meal. i got to clean this up when this is over. Or I can say, you know what? Because I love you and I want to see you well taken care of out of my love for you, even though I'm dead dog tired, I'm happy to go get you a plate, a drink, and always go the third time for the napkin I forgot. For some reason, I can never remember to bring a napkin. Versus just knuckling under and just putting my head down and trying to plow through. You see the difference? It's that way with our relationship with the Lord. If it's not rooted in the love of God, it's drudgery and it's just knuckling under. That's all it is, just knuckling under. Now we see very clearly Genesis 6, 5. What's happened here, they've loved something else, has claimed the heart of human beings. No longer do they say inside the boundaries that he has laid out for them, but they willfully, purposely, continually do what is evil in the eyes of the Lord. Listen to me. It is not an issue of behavior. If it was behavior, they could be 
like Pavlos dogs and conditioned to do something different. The Bible says here it's not just their actions that is the problem, it is their very heart that's the problem. And it looks bleak. What did Christ tell us to summarize the law? What is the greatest command? What did he say? You shall love who? The Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. Directly different than the beginning of the story of Christmas here in Genesis 6. And love your neighbor as yourself. The commandments of all commandments rooted, the commandments of God are rooted in what? Love. Love of God is the ultimate command. And that is true if the ultimate command of God is to love Him. That would therefore mean that the greatest evil of evils is simply this, it is to fail to love God. Once you have failed there, you are no longer staying in His boundaries, you no longer live for His glory because foundationally you have failed. As you read this, and you begin to understand this in this passage, that human beings no longer love God like they should. It doesn't mean they don't love, it just means they love self. Thank you. So this morning, as we think about this, we need to understand this is why love is, is so seductive, right? Love is powerful. It is deceptive. And it has this possibility and sin to replace what is really meant for God with love for self. And, and there's an important question here. In my own heart, who do I truly love? Do I truly love myself? I always think it's funny when I go to these football games at homecoming and I, I hear girls say, you know, they'll say, this was particularly in Indiana, she would like to grow up, get married, and stay at home and raise children. That sounds wonderful, doesn't it? I just imagine what the conversation is like when she sits down with that spouse. And people don't say this a lot, but I know a lot of problems in marriage pull down to this. They don't talk about it. The one person sitting across from their spouse thinking, I love you so much. I have such wonderful plans for you. <laughs> and the other spouse is sitting there thinking, oh, I love you so much. I have such wonderful plans for you. Boom, explosion. Instead of setting goals for self and working on self and working on love for God, Try to change the other person. Paul, the Apostle Paul, in getting at the foundational problem, what does he say here? In 2 Corinthians 5.15, this is actually a signature line on my email, it says this, Jesus came, that little baby in the manger in Bethlehem came, and he was born so that those who would live would no longer live for themselves, but would live for God. And I always close with the question next to it says, who are you living for today? The thing that always replaces love for God, the thing that leads to endless categories of evil is always, always, always love of self. Somehow, some way, we all insert ourselves into the center of our world Somehow, some way, all of us ascend to the throne that only God deserves. We're obsessed with our will 
in our way, which is why I've said it before and I'll say it again, the anthem of hell is Frank Sinatra's song, I Did It My Way. We want to be sovereign over our lives. We want, we obsess. I want you to think about this. You can see this especially at Christmas time. We obsess about our comfort, our pleasure, and our happiness, don't we? And when we live for ourselves, we step over God's boundaries again and again and again because you're not motivated by the love of God. It doesn't take a whole lot. You just look around and you see. You see the evidence all around us dominating, controlling, enslaving. Just read the newspaper. Right? Remember one time, our kids, you see in life our kids, constant fights in the back seat. You know, you think that when you have one child, you need to have another child because that one child will be lonely and then maybe maybe throw in a third one just to make it more fun, right? That's kind of what happened in our house. You think that way, none of them will be lonely. What you've actually done is created a Lord of the Flies situation in your home, right? That's right. You will hear them say things. Dad, yeah, he's bothering me. Well, what's he doing? He's breathing. Oh, it didn't stop there. What do you want me to do? Make him stop. Breathing? No. We laugh at that. Isn't that what motivates every murder deep down at its core? We want the world more to ourselves without that person there breathing. Verses go on, and they say something here that is really, really encouraging. At the end of the passage here, what does he tell us? He says here, verse 8, But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. What made Noah special? I'm going to tell you what made Noah special. God's grace made Noah special. God's grace. Noah is not in the lineage of Jesus Christ. But God made a promise to Noah that he would bless him and bless his descendants. And later on, a fellow named Abraham was born from his line. And we do see his line mentioned in Jesus' lineage. So you see this morning, the reason that Jesus being born is good news is because... God's heart was grieved over us and our self-love. You see, we're so messed up and self-destructive and self-imploding, we need to be rescued. And the baby in Bethlehem came in on a rescue mission to save us from loving ourselves and imploding like a fish pulled from the So this morning, as we think about this passage, I want to ask you this. What Paul asked so many times years ago. Who do you love? Right? Do you love yourself? Or do you love Christ who lived a perfect life, died a perfect sacrifice, and the perfect rescue mission to save us, not just from sin, 
not just from hell, but to save us from ourselves. That's why Christmas is good news, isn't it? Lord Jesus, thank you for your thank you for sending Christ. Thank you for not just bringing us in at the manger, but for rewinding the tape all the way back so we can see clearly the true problem, the root problem, not a behavior problem, Lord, not a nature problem, Lord, not even a nurture problem, but a fundamental DNA evil that is woven into us as we seek to love ourselves and dethrone you, God. Lord, thank you for sending Christ to Bethlehem. What good news it is. And what great grief in your heart. What great love must have prompted you to do such a thing, God. A love which depths are deeper than the deepest ocean, Lord. A love that is difficult for me to understand, but only to accept. Lord, help us as we go through this Christmas season not to be people who love self and want others to serve us, but to be people who want to obey you from joy, to fulfill the great commands and not be traitors to your kingdom and your love. Help us to love that which is better, brighter, greater still, the true King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. Let this Christmas be centered solely on obedience and love to Him alone. We pray and ask these things. We need your help, God. Help us this hour to push back love of self and to run headlong into your arms. In your name we pray, amen.